do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0. Probably going to have a conversation with the front office. I mean, you're trading our closer away. Um, yeah, yeah we're gonna, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to have to have conversations with the front office. So I'm at Texas Range. The different angles we could take on this, and we have and will continue to in our programming on SNY. But let's just take a moment and talk about the impact of Max Scherzer, the person, the leader, the culture changer for the Mets. When they were able to sign him, when Steve Cohen was able to convince Max Scherzer to become a Met, it gave the team instant credibility with free agents. Scherzer came here and he was such a competitor, such a pro, such a leader, such a model for how to be a professional for his teammates and something that the Mets clubhouse had lacked for so many years since David Wright, uh, that his impact really was significant in the transition of the Mets into the Steve Cohen era. And of course, he didn't perform in some big games the way he wanted to and the way the Mets and their fans wanted him to. But this is a guy who made an impact. This is a guy who was a real true leader and someone who will be missed. The Mets are getting younger. They acquire another prospect. They'll get more, and that will help them build for the future. But Max Scherzer, in his own way, in his own brief way, was a great Met. Um, regarding the uh, the Max trade, you know, kind of given the, the place we're in um, and the, um, the odds we're facing, um, you know, it was a strategic decision. And... Um, you know, we kind of took this opportunity to um, to kind of serve another goal of the organization, which is to uh, enhance a farm system. So, but I do want to be clear that it's not a uh, it's not a rebuild, um, it's not a fire sale, it's not a liquidation. Um, this is just a repurposing of uh, you know Steve's investment in the club um, and uh, kind of shifting that investment from the team into the organization. 17 chances. Here's the 0-1. Acuna hammers a breaking ball deep to left field. This one is grand. It's a four-run homer for Luis Angel Acuna. His first long ball of the year. He made all of it work. A grand slam for Acuna. And Frisco leads it 9-0. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, July the 30th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. 
Well, there's a lot of change in the air from when we last met here on the Talking Mets podcast. That includes this show. So really, I'll start off real quick. Housekeeping issue. So after last week, we broke up the show into a couple of segments. We did the obviously the segment about trading Pete Alonzo, which didn't go over well with a lot of you guys. Little did you know that might be more real than you think. Um, and then we did the alumni segment with Bill Pulsifer, and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. People get to parse it out, and I was asking for some feedback on Twitter. So going forward, starting today, we are going to do the following on every show. You're going to get each segment individually to download, and you could download the entire show if you so want to. So it's up to you. Segments, download the entire show, have fun with it, do what you want with it. I think it's a good way to piecemeal what you like, maybe what you're less interested in. Also, what kind of content is more timely than others. Even during the offseason, sometimes I'll do a breakdown on a player, and you know that is fun. Maybe you don't have to re- listen to that right away. You want to listen to the instant reaction on a trade or a free agent signing or whatever. And then obviously throughout the, the year, we do different segments all over the place. So we're going to be entering into probably in the history of this program since it became Talking Mets, oh, you know, eight years ago, maybe one of the more interesting and for a radio perspective challenging times. You all know what happened over the last 24 to 48 hours. Well, 72 hours. You know, David Robertson trade was the first shot at the bow that the Mets were not going to try to beat the odds despite what fan graphs had out there, them being about 17 to 20% probability to make the playoffs I think you and I look let's just rewind a little bit back to the subway series Tuesday night Justin Verlander goes out there Mets win a great subway series game nine to three yes they lost the second game to Carlos Rodon but after splitting the games in Yankee Stadium you would think Nats Kansas City chance to you know win six out of seven maybe all seven get back to 500 perhaps or close to it and away you go into August There was a small glimmer, I think, in everybody's mind that the Mets were going to stand pat. And look, I have been in the camp. I told you this all last week, all the way back to when it looked like selling was going to be a possibility. I'm not really interested in gifting players to other organizations for just some lottery ticket or for some middle reliever. A lot of the times when the Mets have sold in other seasons, like 2017, 2018, partly because of their reluctance or inability to add money to the deal. I mean, this is the new thing. I mean, the league is great, and the media is part and parcel to partner with them and putting out these things that say, well, for you to get this, you got to do that, even though sometimes it just – I mean, the fact that there's any money to be given to the Texas Rangers for Max Scherzer drives me bananas because you want to win, you want to compete, you want Scherzer, you got to pay for it, and it's going to cost you. But that's another conversation for another day. So – All along, the Mets would do these deals, whether it be Jerry's Familia, Jay Bruce, you could go back on and on and on, and they'd be like, hey, I don't want to pay this salary. You know, here he is. What's the best I can get? And sometimes you would get, you know, a a piece, but let's face it, Steven Agosik, who was one of those pieces that was acquired in one of those deals, I think it was the Addison Reed deal, uh, you know, it's a a 4A guy. I mean, it's a lottery ticket that more than likely, or a scratch-off that more than likely when you uncover what it's worth, it's not worth much. Maybe it's worth a buck. Maybe it's worth a couple of bucks. Very rarely is it a win for life. So 
I'm like one of those guys that are like, hey, I'm not into doing that because they're already over the luxury, luxury tax. How much money are they going to save? I mean, it isn't my money. I know it's Steve Cohen's money, but knowing the owner, knowing the situation, at this point, you're so far into the deep end of the financial pool. Like, there's nothing other than stripping the whole damn thing down that is going to save you. But then I listened to the rationale behind the Robertson deal, and that one didn't bother me. Uh, you know, look, it's a closer. There are other guys that could go out there and get three outs of the ninth. Not as good. It definitely decreases the probability of them making the postseason or making any kind of run. But look, I get it. The guy's a free agent. You can resign him back, similar to what you did with Jay Bruce all those years ago. And I understand it. And the Mets gave you some of the process of these kids that they got from Miami, uh, Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez, where whether they're using TrackMan or analytics, bat-to-ball contact analytics, that these are guys that may be lottery tickets that are a little bit better than your average scratch-off here. Let's put it that way. Still, you don't know. These guys are probably five years away. Hey, maybe they're assets just to go out and acquire Juan Soto at some point. You know, that that could very well be it. Marlins don't have the best farm system and so on and so forth. By the way, I should have done this properly, you know, from a radio perspective. We will hear more about these prospects because I think comparison to the Scherzer trade, um, these two guys are less known. But Eli Sussman from uh, a very reputable uh, Marlins site called Fish on First is going to be joining me later on in the program, and you'll hear a little bit about what the Marlins' perspective is on these kids. So anyway, so that happens, and look, I figured, okay, if that's the case, it's going to be Canna, Fam, you know, maybe Brooks Raley, maybe Adovino. I could live, you know, although I think that some of these guys are good pieces for the 2024 club. I have been consistent time and time again that you, you signed Scherzer, you signed Verlander, and you gave them two- to three-year deals depending on how you look at the options, to be part of a bridge to a better day from a prospect perspective, but you want to compete and win at a high level, and the only way you could do it is with that dynamic one-two punch at the top of the rotation. So then I'm out yesterday, and I'm not in a great sell area, and all of a sudden I get an alert from Metsfix, the great Jeffrey Ballone, our good friend, he's been on the program, that there's a deal for Max Scherzer that's been agreed to between the Mets and the Rangers, and I'm like, Wow. Now now I'm trying to get sell signal. I'm trying to figure out the Rangers' top prospects. I'm texting a friend in baseball. And, you know, everybody wants Jack Leiter. You know, nobody knows what Jack Leiter really is other than he's Al's son and they love Al. So I love how, how fans make trades. I saw people say, ah, this Jack Leiter's not in this deal. It's a horrible deal. Like, Jack Leiter hasn't really been that good. I mean, he's just not that good right now in the minor leagues. Not saying he won't be something, but he's not that good. Took his father a long time, by the way. Took his father almost seven or eight years. To get going, you know, that's a different story. There were injuries and everything like that. And the ironic part is it never even hit me when I see this uh, Luis Angel Acuna. I saw the name Acuna. I never thought that there was a relation. I don't pay attention to the the minor leagues that in-depth and certainly not the Rangers' top prospects. But uh, when I see that and then the emotions of it's on, it's off, Scherzer needs some financials worked out. And I thought my mind is blown that not only is Steve Cohen paying about $32 million of this deal, but also he's saving money on the deal. I, I, they were doing the math about how paying into this is still saving money because the money that obviously the, the $22 million or so that 
the Rangers are picking up is really a 90% tax. So it's close to, you know, 40 something million dollars. So they're saving some money, you know, this luxury tax money there. I get it. But you heard the commentary and I didn't really buy too much into Scherzer after his last start against the Nats about, I need to talk to the front office. It certainly was a shot at the bow to this team that Robertson was traded. I think because the bar has been lowered on the three wild card scenario that the the clubhouse really never thought that they weren't going to do anything but go for it. You know, maybe some guys around the fringes. But I think as they got closer and as they had this soft schedule, which they've already taken advantage of, you know, three out of four to the Nats this weekend. Now they go to Kansas City, 50 and 55 on the year. You know, they figure, hey, we're, we're going to probably be around the rest of the year because all the conversations, when Cohen is having these conversations, when he's recruiting – these big free agents, like Verlander, like Scherzer, part of that is that we're going to contend every year. We're not punting. We're not rebuilding. We're not doing any of that. Not to mention a guy like Lindor that's got a long-term contract in here and Pete Alonzo who is up for free agency after next year. So when you see the Robertson thing, that raises your eyebrow. It starts to get you anxious. But, and you could hear it, you could hear it in all the clips that you've heard out there, when they get to the clubhouse yesterday afternoon to play the Nats, middle afternoon, and they hear that they're, you know, co-ace, if you want to call him, I and mean, whether you like the way he's pitched this year or not, he's their co-ace with Verlander, has been traded. Well, now this gets serious. And the R word, something that we have talked about on this show before. We talked about it recently. We talked about it last year. We've talked about it throughout the point in time when Scherzer was signed to a short-term deal with DeGrom's opt-out with Verlander signing last December to a short-term deal, that there is a possibility once this thing sees itself through with these contracts, with these pitchers who are 39, 40 years old, that the Mets might be in a position where they're not that good. And it may take a rebuild at that point to get back to where you want to get. You can't just spend money every year and put together a competitive team. I think you could put together a team that could compete for a wild card in a three wild card scenario where 85, 86, 87 wins will do it. And if you go back to wild card history and you look at the standings going back 20 years, more than likely, if you win about 85 games to 87 games, there's a chance you're going to be in the playoffs. I mean, the history is the history. Unless something really crazy happens, the history is the history. So now you're looking at a situation where how can you not think it's a rebuild? And look, Billy Epler could go in there and use all this, and I and I told you guys this last deadline. Billy Epler is inside baseball, Mr. Probabilistic Outcome, and he is not charismatic. He's bland. He's direct. He's a lot of inside baseball verbiage. When things are not good, I warned everybody, he's going to be the target. And sure enough, things haven't been good. And and the way he his lack of charisma or maybe his inside baseball bluntness doesn't really impress anybody creates a lot of angst with the the fan base but for him to say it's a reboot instead of a rebuild or a transition whatever word you want to call it look I have news for you guys here on this program if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it's a duck you maybe it's not a tear down five-year rebuild we're facing here right now but there's a lot of smoke about the Mets taking a number of offers of Verlander it looks like they're very motivated to pay down money at a, in a big way. So if a team like the Dodgers, a likely spot that with a page six wife 
like Kate Upton, which Verlander has, that they'd love to go. A team that was in the mix when Verlander was looking to sign. The Mets beat the Dodgers twice to free agents. First with Max Scherzer, second with Verlander. By the way, Otani would be number three, and I don't know if that's possible now after what happened. But seeing that, you have to think that there is a likelihood that Verlander's last start was today. Maybe trading him would be more complicated because... You've got an option, not just next year. You know, Scherzer was kind of a free agent. He had that option. So it's a little bit more complex doing the Verlander deal. But you have to start to say, players aren't stupid. Fans aren't stupid. Transition, rebuild, reboot. It's all the same. It means taking a step back to take a step forward. How long you take that step back is a whole different conversation. If you want to say it's 2024, what I didn't like, and there's buzzwords, and I always tell you guys this, whether you're listening to Buck or you're listening to Epler, going back to the offseason last year, they don't lie to you. You know, Brody Van Wagenen was salesy, but you could read through his salesiness as well. There was a lack of forthrightness in Sandy Alderson, and Omar Minaya was not a good public speaker. But these guys, Billy Epler, he doesn't lie to you. And when he says next year, that they're not going to have as much pressure, that they're not going to be in the same position that they've been the last couple of years, which is kind of World Series or bust because of the age and the free agency and the Cohen money. That tells you they're taking a step back. And even David Lennon wrote that they'll probably be a little bit more conservative in the free agent market. And quite honestly, when you start to look at the roster for 2024, all right, and you have, you know, Forget this, uh, Luis Angel Acuna and what he could be in the offense. A good, you know, at the very least, he might be a good. Uh, I don't want to say component piece better than that. A solid offensive piece in the McNeil mode. Maybe you could look at borderline all star, very productive, tons of speed, versatility, great, great aspects about him to get excited about. Um, you know, you look at this roster. And you trade Verlander, no Scherzer. Carrasco's gone, he's out there. You got, you know, sure, you have some of the young kids that we've talked about that, you know, possibly could uh, hit the rotation, the the Vazels, uh, and, 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 you know, Blade Tidwell at some point. Uh, you've got uh, Tyler Stewart, Dominic Hamill, Christian Scott. They're interesting. You know, maybe two of those five guys could could make a, an impact but I don't know if you could count on them for next year and at, and, and you got to think they're going to be back in the rotations types six or seven in a pecking order similar to what McGill and Peterson kind of were as they came up I mean who's going to pitch for this team next year you got Kodai Senga maybe Jose Quintana if they don't trade him and question mark question mark question mark and by the way you and I know you need to go six seven eight nine deep to even remotely have a shot at competing and the Mets don't have those guys that are big league ready. This could be ugly. I mean, if they trade Verlander and, and Quintana in the next couple of days, do you know how ugly this is going to get in the next two months? Now, that is that a retreat? Is that a reboot? You know, that's what rebuilding teams do. They get clobbered. And then maybe they get a top 10 pick next year, and I don't know how that works. I, off the top of my head, I know that there's the luxury tax, and unless the Mets are going to strip it down, which they're saying they're not going to do. So they're taking money from Peter to pay Paul, which is the big league team, to put it into the farm system. Now, easily the Mets could go out this winter 
and use some of this capital uh, to go inquire Juan Soto. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at the whole thing differently. Like, wow, they're smart. They're not looking to punt. They're just looking to take assets and, and move things around. And I could see that happening. Yeah, you could go out and say, Mike, but there are free agents. I mean, could you rebuild the rotation again if you if you trade Quintana and Verlander? I mean, you'd have to build basically four-fifths of the rotation. I mean, Aaron Nola, uh, James Paxton, Luis Severino, Blake Snell, Julio Urias, they're not taking two- or three-year deals. These are five-year deals these guys are going to get. Now you're starting to add payroll and risky contracts for pitchers. You know, Scherzer was risky. When I, when this first came out, if you go back and listen to that show when he signed, I was more in favor of taking $43 million and split it between Gosman and Robbie Ray at that time. Gosman's been pretty good. You know, I, you know I, I was looking for them to spread the money out. A lot of that goes back to not fully understanding the power and the, the level that Steve Cohen wanted to do financially to put a competitive team on the field. And then once I understood, I'm like, okay, let's go for this. Let's, this doesn't matter anymore. And does it still not matter? I'm assuming that's the case. Everybody in the media seems to think it's a fait accompli that Cohen's just going to spend and spend and spend. But then I look at what was out there. I'm like, you know, they were pretty fortunate the mess they had. Scherzer and Verlander back-to-back, and the Grom then hit the free agent market if they wanted to sign him, and they didn't get they didn't get him. They, they pivoted to Verlander. You don't have many times in baseball history that free agency works out like that for you, that those players are available, and that you were able to sit down and outbid and outsell a team like the Dodgers, who is in L.A., a desirable place for athletes to live and play, who has had a, a benchmark of success for well over a decade, oodles of money, and you were able to beat them despite the fact that you're a new owner, yeah, you got oodles of money, but that you're playing basically outside a garbage dump. Let's call it like it is until they pick it up. And you're the second team in town. Not often that you could pull that off. And depending on how interested they are in Otani, and you got to think they will be, to do that as a trifecta three winters in a row, that's going to be hard. Especially coming off if they tear this thing apart, which is possible. So you could call it whatever you want. You want to call it what Billy Epler calls it. You want to call it what I've said, the rebuild. Rebuilds don't have to be Houston Astros, Chicago Cub, Baltimore Oriole. Let's tear this thing down and be bad, 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 and, and basically be the Washington Generals for five years. You know, they don't have to do that. But I think you're looking at a Mets team next year. Best case scenario, that's a team that's in the muck and maybe sneaks in for a wild card and has a fun season at City Field and maybe you get to see some shining stars like Alvarez and Mauricio and Acuna come up and, and give you hope. And then as, as things develop middle of the year, maybe there's a trade to have to fortify or opportunistic move to bring a star in like a Soto. You know, who knows? I mean, that looks like where this is going. And that's a much different situation. Now, does that mean they're going to be better off in the long run? I could understand that. I could understand that. It was always difficult to fathom a team Spending at a high level and rebuilding at the same time and doing both well without there being some sort of dysfunction, whether it be on the development side or the you know, free agent side where you spend money and it just it doesn't work out. I mean, this, the crazy part here, guys, is that they're 50 and 55 here on July 30th. They went, what, 8 and 18 in June? If there's five games, and I could pluck five 
freaking games from you know one in April, one in May, one or definitely in June. I could pick a whole bunch, one or two in June, and maybe one even this month. And we're not even having this conversation. You know what we're talking about? Like the Chicago Cubs, who basically did what the Mets couldn't do, which is a team that reeled off. You know, they reeled off what eight or nine in a row, and now they're in a race. That's what you're waiting for the Mets to do. It never happened. So. All the hand-wringing, all the directions, how the future goes, really is only about five games. If the Mets are 55-50, and we're not having this conversation. We're just not. And that's the crazy part about it. And that's where you're really looking at this and you're hoping that the plan isn't a fly-by-seat-of-the-pants type of thing. We know that Cohen wants a farm system. He's made it clear from day one. We know he wants to win. No other time in the history of baseball have you been able to do both, and they've tried to do both. How they're doing both in the next iteration, it can't be at the high level because they've already tried it, and they haven't completely rebuilt that farm system. I mean, they can't even get relievers out of the farm system. They can't get you know replacement starters. You usually have to take a, a step back, and they kind of are preparing you for that. What do I see over the next couple of days? Nothing would surprise me at this point. You guys all laughed about trading Pete Alonso, but if I'm Pete Alonso, you don't think he's going into that front office and saying, hey, I know you, I can't do a darn thing. You have my control for another year. But I was thinking about talking about an extension to you this winter, but now you're rebuilding. Do you think Pete Alonso is going to resign here if they're 72 and 90 next year? And you're waiting for Christian Scott and Tyler Stewart or, God forbid, those five names I threw out earlier, Hamill and Blade Tidwell, are stinking up the joy to double A. You know, and you have, what do you think you're going to do? You think you're going to sign Scherzer and Verlander types every offseason? You can't do that. They don't come available. So this is a interesting time. And I think anybody who's sitting back and knows 100% what's going to happen next is lying. Anybody who says in the media or fans, ah, they're just going to go out and spend this offseason, you don't know that. And by the way, you could spend. It doesn't mean you're going to get the right players. You had a guy, you know, for all the criticism that has been hurled at Scherzer, I 1,000% agree with Andy Martino. He was a similar to Pedro Martinez back in 2004 with uh, Omar Manaya. He signaled to the rest of the sport the Mets can play with the big boys. Yeah, maybe he was not on the right side of 30, just like Pedro. But you figured he had enough in the tank. He came here. He had an attitude and a mentality that had been missing for so long. And they needed it. It was so much this, you know, cloud over this team's head that you needed special players to break through that yoke I keep talking about that nobody believes. But I believe, well, at least 50% of you believe, based on the poll on Twitter, that it exists. And yeah, maybe this year, you know, the oblique... You know, the the sticky bullshit. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. Bleep that out. All the the nonsense that's out there. I usually never curse, man. I got, really got fired up. Um, All the, you know, the little things, the neck and the aches and pains. And he was interviewed with Tim Healy the other day. He said that he's feeling great. He doesn't know why he's not executing the way he's supposed to execute. Because father time wins all the time. And we didn't expect it to be this quick. But you you could have saw a scenario where third year was not going to be good. But you figured you'd get a high level the first two years. And you just didn't get it. 
passed really, uh, you know, August of last year. You got four or five really good months. He's not a horrible man. Last year, his statistics from a, 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 a advanced perspective, wins above replacement, was as good as Noah Syndergaard in 2016. And that's with him missing two months on the shelf. It would have been better. Everybody remembers Noah Syndergaard, how dominant he was in 2016. He was the Mets' ace. He started in the postseason game against Madison Bumgarner. Well, Scherzer was as good as him, pretty much. He was as good as DeGrom in 2015. And if he had pitched those other two months, my guess is that you're looking at the same type of performance that Pedro Martinez gave you in that first year in 2005, and everybody loved Pedro. This year, it's not exactly like he's Tom Glavin at the end of the year in, in game 162. He's been inconsistent. He's hanging a lot of sliders. You look at basically the difference between Scherzer, who you were getting, and Scherzer, who you have, is the home run ball, which is a hanging slider problem. For the most part. It's a location problem. I would not be surprised where, you know, this shock, you know, when you, it's one thing to think something's going to happen, but when the reality hits you, that shock, I could see, if, and I would bet on Max Scherzer. This is a guy that's a smart guy. He's a smart pitcher. He's a gamer. He's got a, a, a competitive will that will certainly be missed in that clubhouse, and I don't think it will easily be replaced. I wouldn't be surprised he goes to Texas and he looks like vintage Max Scherzer and does some big things for them. And I know it's going to drive the fans crazy and the media is going to do all their gloating, but, you know, that's the risk you take. And hopefully Acuna, you know, look, he could steal bases. He's got some pop. His brother said glowing things about him. I mean, it's his brother basically saying he's better than me at the same age. And, you know, he could play a couple of different positions. Looks like he could be ready for this, uh, for the big leagues as early as next year, which will help with winning now. But, I mean, he could also easily be the center of a package for, like I said, I keep throwing Juan Soto's name out there. That's just one name. But, or somebody like that. So, really the thesis of this Open, before we take a break and get to Eli Sussman and talk a little bit about these kids that the Mets got for David Robertson, is we don't know what's going to happen. Buckle up. This is I talked about this being a wild roller coaster ride, the back of the cab, because all you could do is sit back and let this roster play out, which is exactly what we had to do all year, and it took us to a place we're not happy with. Now it's even more so where you basically got to sit back and see where Billy Epler is going to take us because he wasn't... He was transparent. He didn't lie to us, but he left it open to, we just don't know. It's really going to go by what they want, what their scouting department believes is of value based on the teams that are interested. I mean, we could go to all the fan graphs, prospect lists, pipeline prospect lists, MLB prospect lists. We're not scouts. You're not a scout. I'm not a scout. Just because they have good numbers or bad numbers in the minor leagues. We had Ernie Dove on a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of reasons for that. Go back and listen to that segment educational piece beyond belief. Somebody actually talks to guys as they go up through the system and not just the blue chippers, and he's not trying to get political points from different people and organizations so that he could get good information for his job. He's just trying to do a good job. Think about that. Just trying to do a good job. You know, we don't know. And I think that this is, if you're a Mets fan, you should be very, very nervous right now because we don't know where this is going. It could be, a, I mean, look, anytime you reboot, it's fun. It's a promise of a better day. That's why 
GMs make their careers on marketing this stuff. But it's scary because you just don't know. They, they could be wildly wrong. You know, Max Scherzer could go out and pitch at, a, at an elite level and help the Rangers get to the World Series and maybe win a World Series. And you think to yourself, well, he could have done that in 2024 for the Mets. Maybe they get close and they sneak into the playoffs this year. You think anybody would want to play the Mets in the short series? Unlikely. I get it. Very unlikely. And I'd done them, so I'm not saying that I was banking on that. There was a part of you, though, don't lie, after the Yankee, the first game at Yankee Stadium, that was thinking, all right, this is coming around. What went wrong here? A lot of stuff. We'll get to that on the on the on the break after we we talk to Eli Sussman, because uh, Steve Gelbs made some comments that I want to address before the game yesterday. But in the end, this is a rebuild. I don't care what they call it. May not be a teardown, liquidation, sale rebuild. It is a rebuild, and rebuilds take many forms. They take a one year form, a five year form, an infinity form. It is a rebuild. Don't let anybody. BS you. And I don't know. You know, you could say they keep everybody else together, bring Diaz back, sign some bullpen arms, replace Scherzer with Urias or Otani or, I don't know, this Yamamoto guy from Japan. And all of a sudden you're like, well, Mike, it's the same team. It's just no Max Scherzer. Okay. I'm not sure that's what they're going to do. When he says that the expectations are going to be lowered next year, that's a buzzword. Pay attention to the words. Just like I yelled at everybody, listen to what Steve Cohen is saying. Don't listen to the words and make up your opinion without listening to what they're saying because then you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be wrong, and that is not how you comprehend and disseminate information. That's unhealthy, and that's why you have anger and frustration. And and then this whole hobby that you have, which is Mets baseball, becomes much worse for you than anything else in your life. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Eli Sussman, Fish on First. Who are these kids they got for David Robertson? Are these lottery tickets? Or is it Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell? Who knows? You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.